Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Matthew 28. I, I don't mean that to be a heavy word, but maybe God did. Matthew 28. We're going to put it on the screens, I hope, if the screens are working. It's, uh, oh, there we go. Great. Matthew chapter 28. If you've got your Bibles or your phone, you can look at it with me. It's kind of a familiar passage to a lot of people, known as the Great Commission. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They saw him. This is the resurrected Jesus that they saw. And they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, Who's he talking about? The 11 disciples. He's not talking about just some Johnny come lately that heard there was a guy that did some cool stuff and come check him out. These are the 11 disciples, the ones who have just experienced a resurrected Jesus, raised from the dead, seen him walk through a wall, appear in their midst. They've been with him for three years, saw the miracles, predicted his own death and resurrection, then see him resurrected, and they're worshiping, but even in their worship, there's a little bit of doubt. I inject myself into that story. Do you ever do that? Do you ever read stuff in the Bible, and you put yourself in the story going, how would I react in that situation? I imagine myself, perhaps I shouldn't, I think I wouldn't doubt by the time that I saw Jesus raised from the dead. I think there's something about me that would go, that's all I needed to see. But yet some of them, even after that moment, they still doubted. It's amazing how doubt can creep in regardless of how much evidence that you actually see. It's amazing how you can see all the things you thought would have meant that if I see that, I'll believe. If this thing comes through, then God is real. If this happens, then I know that I'll know that I'll know. And we're so dependent on the things as evidence that even when we see the evidence, there's still this lingering, eh, yeah, but maybe not. What is that? It's not a lack of evidence. It's the presence of doubt. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. But some doubted. Why do you? Like, what exactly did they doubt? Did they doubt that Jesus was the Messiah? Or did they just doubt themselves? The Great Commission, probably another way I like to rephrase that, is the Great Permission. Do you know, in order for the Great Commission to come to pass, we need permission and we need authority. It's the Great Permission. You have permission to minister, to go and make disciples of all nations. Not just discipling people, but discipling nations. 
That's not just a mandate and a command. It's also permission. Do you know if you're in the military and you give an order to somebody, but you don't give them the authority to actually carry out that order, that's a pretty tough place to be. You have authority and you have the permission to go and make disciples. We have a, a tradition in our society, our country, our culture, where when, when, when a girl goes to get married, right, that typically, maybe traditionally, maybe not typically, maybe traditionally, uh, it will in my household in Jesus' name, uh, the man comes and asks for the girl's hand in marriage. I forgot to do that before I asked Romy because I just kind of on the spot asked her to marry me, and I had to go back to her dad that afternoon and ask for her hand in marriage, but I already had her hand in marriage, you know what I mean? And uh, I was like, dang it, I, I did this backwards, but our whole lives are backwards, and it's turned out pretty darn good. So, But you, the bride, usually the, the, the groom would go ask for the hand in marriage, and then there's this great tradition in a wedding where the father of the bride would, would walk the bride down the aisle, and he would give away the bride. Do you know what that really means? Both of those things, the giving away, the asking the permission, uh, or asking for the daughter's hand in marriage, it's the father's way of saying to their daughter, you have the ability to reproduce, but now you also have my permission to reproduce. You get to reproduce our family wherever you go. Isn't that beautiful? You already had the ability. You could have gone and gotten married and, and had kids without my permission. But by doing it this way, you've allowed me to also give you the permission to reproduce who you are wherever you go. It's kind of the essence of church planting. It's the ability, as we send people out to plant churches, we're giving you the ability and the permission to reproduce who we are wherever you go. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. What we have right here, go do that. You have my permission. It's the giving away of the bride, the bride of Christ, to go and make disciples of all nations. So we have permission, as Jesus said, to preach the gospel, to cast out demons, to pick up serpents, to drink poison and not be hurt, and to heal the sick. All those things, we not only have the authority, we have the permission to do it. How great is that? You get to go do this. But we're often stuck in the same place these 11 disciples were. Of I'm worshiping, and I hear what you're saying, I receive it, but yet there's still this, this doubt. This doubt. And I guess if I do truly inject myself into that story, I go, God, if these 11 can doubt, then I see, I, I recognize that I may have a little bit of doubt myself. There's moments when I can be of great faith, but have yet this little lingering doubt. But the problem with the doubt is that too often the manifestation, the, the, the fruit of the doubt in our life means that we disqualify ourselves from ministry. Like going and making disciples, that's the essence of ministry. It's why we exist as a church. We don't exist to get people to come and join. We, get, we exist as a church to equip people to go and make disciples of all nations. So there's always going to be a receiving into this church of people coming into the kingdom, but there's always going to be a sending out of people to go and make disciples. That's our mandate from God. But if I allow the doubt to rule my heart, I will disqualify myself from the very thing that Jesus himself qualified me for. 
I want to make sure I don't disqualify myself. Am I alone? Has anybody ever felt that way? Oh, no, not me. Let me get Nick to pray for you. Oh, no, no, I, you know what? I don't, I don't, I'm only like three chapters into Romans. Let, let, let me go get Romy to, to talk to you. Deliverance? Uh, I don't know about the spiritual world. Let me, let me go send you to this person. And Jesus is going, what are you doing? Why do you keep disqualifying yourself for the very ministry that I died to give you? Let me give you a couple of reasons why I think that actually crept in, and then I'll hopefully I'll give you an answer for it. The first reason, and this is a bit of an historical reason of what I think happened, and I phrase this by saying we think that we don't have the keys. Do you remember that moment when uh, Jesus is asking his disciples, who do, the, who do the people say I am? He says, some say you're Elijah, some say you're a prophet, some say you're this. And then he asks the questions, but who do you say I am? And Peter stands up and he goes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. One of Peter's best shining moments. It was better than get behind me, Satan. But Peter had a good moment. And Jesus tells him that, Peter, you are a rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, what Jesus was actually saying is that the revelation that you have of me as Messiah is the very thing I'm going to build my church on. Is other people recognizing me for who I am, not just as a prophet, not just as a good teacher, not just as anybody else, but because you recognize me as Savior and Lord and Messiah, it's that kind of revelation upon which I will build my church. But the Catholic Church took that. I'm not beating up on Catholics. I love Catholics. We're going to have a lot of Catholics in heaven. But the Catholics, Romy was raised Catholic. She didn't become a nun. Thank you, Jesus. She was heading that direction. Thank you, Jesus. She did not become a nun. And so the Catholic Church took that to say Peter himself is the rock. Not the revelation of Jesus as Messiah, but Peter himself is the rock, and Peter became the first pope. In other words, the vicar of Christ, the person who stands as God's representative on the earth, in some ways as God himself. And that became very convenient for structuring the church because for, for many hundreds of years, the Catholic church was the church. It wasn't Catholic and Protestant until the Protestant Reformation. It was just the Catholic church. And it led to a very systematic and organized way of growing a church, maintaining leadership, is to say that there is a pope who is the vicar of Christ on the earth, and there are other leaders who hear from God for you and will tell you what God says. But what it led to was this idea of clergy and laity, these two different levels of, of people that are in the church, where the clergy were the ones that did the work of the God, of God, and the laity the non-clergy were just there to support the work that God was doing through the clergy. This misinterpretation of a simple scripture created an unhealthy church hierarchy that put ministry in the hands of professional clergy only. Now the ripple effect of that throughout the centuries means that we are left with a hangover of thinking it's professional ministers who do the work of the ministry, not everyday people. It's not true. Jesus' commission was not to professional ministers only. It was to any disciple and any believer. This emasculated the body of Christ because it could no longer reproduce. 
Do you see that? You can't make a disciple who then becomes a minister of reconciliation like Akeem talked about if you only think that the clergy are the ones who do the ministry and everybody else is supposed to support the work of the clergy. And we went from a Jewish understanding of what a rabbi is. Jesus was a rabbi. The Jewish understanding of rabbi is that I follow the rabbi so that I may become like him. But a Greco-Roman idea of a rabbi or teacher is I listen and I understand, but I will never be like the teacher. That movement from a Jewish understanding of rabbi to a Greco-Roman understanding of rabbi emasculated the church. And so we have a church full of people who come. We have a, 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 a whole Christendom who come to church waiting to hear the word instead of coming to church full of the word. They come empty, emptied by the world. They come to church empty, waiting to be filled, instead of coming filled, waiting to give out of the overflow. And they want the church to do for them what God says, I already did that for you. Walk with me daily. That's the first way. The second thing that I think historically that happened it's something I refer to as man of God syndrome. You ever have this? I know there's a lot of places that kind of operate this. After World War II, uh, our country had an amazing some, uh, sort of a new awakening with these post-World War II healing evangelists. I shared about William Branham a couple weeks ago, um, Oral Roberts, some of those people. Incredible healing ministries operating in words of knowledge, but it only happened by the person with the microphone standing up front. I mean, legitimate, amazing uh, ministers and, and healing evangelists, and there were great moves of God, but it was only ever done by a man at the front, sometimes a woman, you know, the Catherine Kuhlmans and, and, and those types of people. But it was never in the hands of the people to do the work of the ministry. And unfortunately, some of those people really didn't end well in ministry because I think they took on a mantle that probably wasn't meant for them to carry alone. And where Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the fivefold ministry that Jesus gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, somehow this man of God syndrome flipped that upside down where suddenly the saints thought that their role was to equip the fivefold ministry to do the work of the ministry. Just come to church and give and serve and support the work of the ministry. That's upside down. The role of the fivefold, of the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, evangelists, and teachers is to equip you. But we get it upside down. I don't, I can't do that. Just bring the church, bring your friends to church and we'll get them saved and filled with the Holy Spirit because you can't do that. It's not true. We should be equipping you. Why do we have prophets in our church like ascension gifted fivefold ministry prophets? It's not just so they can prophesy, it's to get the gift of prophecy operating through the whole church. Which praise God, it's happening in our midst. But that man of God syndrome, I think, caused a disqualification in people's hearts of themselves as ministers. Am I making sense? So somehow we've given away our authority and we've given away our permission to who we feel like are more anointed than us. And the last thing I'm going to say here, one of the reasons I think it happens, is because we try to work for Jesus instead of with him. We try to work for Jesus instead of with him. I had this guy I knew 
He's a Hall of Fame offensive lineman for the Cincinnati Bengals. If you're old enough, you'll know what I'm talking about. His name is Anthony Munoz. Back in the day, Anthony used to wear a cross on his white football cleats. So it really stood out, a black cross. I remember asking him, I was like, why do, why do you wear that on your shoes? Is that like a witnessing tool or is that what it is? He goes, no, it's a reminder that I'm playing with Jesus, not for him. And I remember asking him, you ever have somebody say something to you and you're like, it just turns you inside out and you're like, can you explain that to me? Because that just hit deep and I don't know why. He said, yeah, because if I'm playing for Jesus, then I'll never be good enough. Because no matter how good a game I played, how can you play for him? Because it's like I, there's always something else I could have given, and I'll walk off the field defeated every single time. But when I'm going through something, I look at my shoes, and that cross is a reminder that he's right there with me. And boy, football became a whole lot more fun. And I would not want to have gotten blocked by Anthony Munoz, who had a revelation that Jesus was with him. Because he was a big and strong guy. But see, I think we disqualify ourselves because we think we have to do for him, and we could never do enough. We could never be good enough because how could we measure up? Jesus wasn't, doesn't want you to do ministry for him. He doesn't want you to pray for the sick for him. He doesn't want you to preach the gospel for him. He wants to partner with you. We're going, God, what do you want to do? Where do you want to send me? I just want to do your will. And I think Jesus wakes up every morning and goes, what do you want to do today? Hey, Nick, what's on your schedule? As if he doesn't know. You know what I mean? Who, where, are you, where are you working today? Hey, when you go over to that lady's house, what, you know, the, the, the widow that's old and just wants to talk too much and you got three more jobs to do, what do you want to do today? And we're going, Jesus, what do you want? I think Jesus is looking at us going, I don't know. What do you want to do? When I began to hear that voice of the Holy Spirit asking me what I wanted to do, I'm like, you're asking the wrong person, right? I'm like, I don't know, you want to pray that she gets healed? And I love Jesus is like, yeah, that sounds like fun. Let's do that. And there's been moments when I've prayed for people, I'm not kidding you, where I prayed for like their knee because I saw them limping a little bit and God heals their shoulder. And I think it's the funniest thing ever. Because I'm like, God, let's pray for the knee. And he's like, all right, cool, pray for the knee. He's like, watch this. And then heals, heals, heals the person's shoulder. Because I thought it was one thing, and yet Jesus knew them and me. I honestly, I've heard this. I, I feel like in that moment, Jesus is just kind of snickering at me and laughing. Not making fun of me, but just, just playing. You know, he can be playful sometimes. It doesn't have to be serious all the time. But we miss that Jesus wants to do ministry with us. He doesn't want you to measure up because you don't. Our righteousness is like filthy rags before him. He just wants to say, hey, what are you going to do today? Let's go. Let's go have some fun. Let's set some people free. Amen? And the last one that I think disqualifies people is a spirit of rejection. Now, I'm speaking about this one from a personal thing because I think I've disqualified myself in ministry at times because of a spirit of rejection that still tries to rear its ugly head and come at me sometimes. I'm not letting it. I want to read to you from John chapter 8. 
John chapter 8, verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, it says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and live, leave your life of sin. Don't live your life of sin. Go and leave your life of sin. Some interesting things about this story. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law he was talking about, they were supposed to be Israel's teacher. They were the very picture of what a minister should look like. If you were to ask an ordinary Jew, what is the ideal minister, they would have pointed to the Pharisees or the teachers of the law. That's what ministers are in our culture. These Pharisees had qualified themselves for hundreds of years based upon outward shows of religious devotion. I need to be seen to be doing the right thing. They looked the part. They spoke the right way. They knew all the Scriptures. But Jesus said of them, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachers are merely human rules. These Pharisees and teachers of the law who had attempted to qualify themselves, had slipped so far from what authoritative and permissive ministry that they were supposed to have by God, they had slipped so far, the only ministry they knew was a rock. That was their ministry, to stone a woman caught in sin. You know, if you're a hammer, everything's a nail, isn't it? They had the ministry of hammering. And yet Jesus showed them their inner sin. He showed them just how disqualified they truly were from ministry. It's their inner sin and their hatred that had disqualified them. Now, I want to show you something. Can you guys do me a favor? Can you all stand up? And I need a volunteer but I'll tell you who I'm asking you to volunteer before you step up. You're going to volunteer to be an adulterous woman. Anybody want to volunteer to be an adulterous woman? It does have a good result. We can even have a man standing in as an adulterous woman. I need one volunteer. Come on. You're not really. Thank you, Romy. The least adulterous person. Can you stand right here for me? Can you face me? Can you face me? Now, here's, here's what happens. In the Jewish culture... When there's teaching that happens, it's the teacher who sits down and everybody else stands up. I think that's a great idea. We need to have more Hebrew teachers. 
So it's the teacher that relaxes and the teacher that sits down. That's what it said Jesus was doing. He was sitting, and then the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in this woman caught in the act of adultery and stood him in front of them and in front of him and said, she deserves death. She stood as a picture of accusation. She stood as a picture of someone who was condemned. Someone who they disqualified, not just from ministry, someone they disqualified from life. And Jesus does something very interesting. As they're bringing her to the judge, the one seated is the judge. When you go to court, the judge doesn't stand up for you. Anybody notice that? Don't raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. The judge sits down and you stand before him. They expect a righteous judge to look at her and go stone her as the law requires. But do you know what Jesus does? He says he straightens up. It doesn't mean he was slouching in his chair. It means the teacher stood up as a fellow one accused as someone else who would be the object of someone else's punishment that would stand there as one who they would condemn to death as well and said, he was without sin cast the first stone. Yeah, it says he went and rode in the dirt, but in the end it says he rises up again and looks at this woman. He says, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none. He says, I don't accuse you either. That picture of Jesus standing in her place. She was there because of her sin. So was he. Jesus didn't hang on the cross because he sinned. He hung on the cross because she sinned. And he hung on the cross for every fist clenched with a rock in it that would say, you deserve death. And he stood in that very place for them as well. The woman walked away free. But one at a time, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law walked away still condemned. Jesus qualifies the most disqualified person in the room. And the most qualified people in the room, when He revealed what was really happening in their hearts, it was exposed to them. You were disqualified for ministry. But the one who stands before you can qualify even a rock-throwing Pharisee. And all it takes is repentance. All it takes is forgiveness. You have the choice whether to submit yourself to the righteous judge or to try to put yourself in His place. i got to warn you, that's not going to work out very well for you. You can be seated. Thank you. Jesus qualifies an adulterer and disqualifies a Pharisee. How does this happen? 
Well, he says in chapter 15, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Do you know what made this woman clean? The word that he spoke over you. I don't condemn you. It cleansed her. It's not the woman that was ruled by a spirit of rejection. It was the Pharisees that were ruled. This was her ultimate rejection by her community, by her faith leaders, by those who were meant to minister to her. She was being condemned. And yet she's the one that left free. Stop letting a spirit of rejection dictate to you whether you will minister to others or not. Stop letting a spirit of rejection that's been communicated to you by those who were supposed to be your spiritual leaders and teachers who have taught you you're not qualified, I am, do what I say, and have tried to emasculate you. Jesus says to you today, neither do I condemn you. You can not only be free, but you can pick up your authority and the permission you have as ministers of a new covenant. He has made us all ambassadors for Him, ministers of a new covenant. Peter had a problem with this because Jesus was calling him into a very unusual ministry, a ministry to Gentiles. And Jesus says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. It's actually the Father that said that from heaven. Stop calling something impure that God has made clean. Stop calling something disqualified that He has qualified. That's you. Look in the mirror and say, I am qualified. His words have made me clean. I am an ambassador of Christ. I don't have to have my whole life figured out, straightened up, put in order before I can do the work of God. All it takes is the surrender of your whole heart. That's it. All God needs is your willingness to hear and obey. And you will become a minister, an unlikely minister, in an unusual place to bring the glory of God and His manifestation. Stop calling yourself unholy, not good enough, inadequate. It's a spirit of rejection. And the spirit of rejection is the Pharisee spirit. This woman was more qualified for ministry than the most educated Pharisee. He wants our willingness. Because that's what he can work with. Let me pray for you. Oh, can you feel him standing with you? Even as I'm saying this, I know people are feeling like that woman standing before everyone. She was probably naked, caught in the very act of adultery. But can you feel him standing with you? Do you notice in the story that he never actually addresses the Pharisees directly? He's just speaking to her. If you'll recognize that He's with you, you'll see that you have all the qualifications you need. Pray this with me. 
Jesus, I surrender my heart to You. I surrender my will to You. As You taught us to pray, not my will, but Yours be done. Today I'm making an exchange of wills. Mine for Yours. I pray that You redeem me. That You fill me with Your Spirit. That I would feel Your presence with me. And Jesus, let's go do ministry together. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much fun. <laughs> got to tell yourself, it's going to be so much fun. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray for hearts here to be healed. I come against that spirit of rejection in the name of Jesus. You have no place here. None whatsoever. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your love. And let us walk with you every day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.